0: Quite often I see inside, I guess, you know, people chatting about real estate. There's obviously a lot of forums and things I participate in. And you know, quite often people will sort of bring up, you know, what what kind of commercial property could you buy for $500,000, for example? Well, the short answer is, it's probably gonna be pretty rough. (laughs) Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, another code cracker. Yes, you crazy urban property investors. We're going to dig into commercial real estate. It is a vehicle, of course, for the rich. And so we as property investors do need to understand the pros and cons, trials and tribulations of commercial real estate. Hey, you never know if the episode's going to be good until we get to the end, so you've got to stick around. And of course, play the program in double speed, get your life back. Hey, I hope everyone's good. I am certainly going okay. I've got Raffy, the Gopnik dog, besides me. He's snoring like a little koala bear. So if the mic's picking up a background noise of a grizzle, I apologize, but uh, I'm looking after Rafi today. He's uh, he's hanging out with me. Hey, uh, let's get into the show. I think commercial real estate is something which a lot of property investors aspire to get involved in, and quite often, certainly voyeuring in on many of the Chats that happen inside of real estate, I often see a lot of property investors think about commercial real estate as an opportunity to buy something with a high return. And of course, commercial property is designed around its income. That's the purpose of it. So there is a lot to uncover when it comes to property as an investment vehicle for through commercial real estate so let's tackle it is commercial real estate actually a viable option for most property investors well i think to answer these critical questions we need to understand real estate we need to understand the monopoly board and of course big part of my job is simply sharing information about real estate the australian Monopoly board, if you like. And of course, anyone who's played the game of Monopoly probably understands that Monopoly is very much a game of accumulating assets, adding value through real estate. And of course, one of the best commercial moves on the real estate board is to create hotels. Hotels are part of the commercial real estate sector. And of course, they are high yielding. If anyone lands on your hotel, they have to pay up they have to pay a pretty penny there are however other commercial uh properties on the monopoly board some are good and some are not so good and this is really the lesson of commercial real estate if you think about the utilities on a monopoly board though they are a card which you can buy they're not high yielding they're not great they're c-grade assets Uh, Train stations can be okay if you can amalgamate all four, but if you own one, it can be a bit of a C-grade asset. So hotels, well, on the Monopoly board, make people a lot of money. And here inside of Australian real estate, if we can come across and get ourselves in a position to become a commercial investor, it's really designed around its income profile. Now, the first thing you need to understand about commercial real estate is it really is lawyer on lawyer. You've got to be able to play a bigger, more sophisticated game. Quite often, property investors in residential are really the landlord with the property manager talking to tenants. When it comes to commercial real estate, though, it is really much a much higher game to play you need to have a lawyer you need to make sure you're actually probably uh, often dialoguing with your lawyer and you really need to play a much higher game when it comes to how to run your assets really is not like residential residential the idea of the leaking toilet Goes to your property manager. Your property manager gives you a call, and you know you uh, you go, well, how much is the plumber? And the plumber's, you know, three hundred dollars. And you're like, well, can't you get it for two hundred? You have these kind of uh, pretty simplified conversations around real estate. When it comes to commercial real estate, obviously you're going to have a tenant. And a lot of that conversation is often done at a pretty high level where it's the lawyers writing to other lawyers to do things with inside leases. So the first rule about being a commercial property investor is to make sure you're actually in the right uh, the right place, the right mindset, the right uh, the you've got the right team to actually ...be a sophisticated investor. And I would put commercial property in the paradigm of more sophisticated investors. Here in Australia, to be a sophisticated investor, there are some rules around it. You uh, do need to earn a certain amount of money and have a certain amount of net worth to be deemed to be a sophisticated investor. Though anybody can buy commercial property, I do believe it's probably more suited to those people with a certain net worth size and, of course, a certain income profile. Because when you buy commercial real estate, you are diversifying into the business sector. Really, what you are buying is an asset with its underlying association connected to the business sector now the business sectors like any sector always goes through transformation and of course property that is linked to business i.e it is not shelter it is not a roof over someone's head is a completely different paradigm to residential real estate investment Residential real estate investment is, as they say, as safe as houses. However, commercial property investment is connected to the business sector. And if you think about some of the challenges and headwinds for the business sector, there's a lot going on. So if you're going to own commercial real estate, you need to be uh, connected to what is going on in the business sector. You need to understand that your asset is tied up inside An economy and of course if that economy does well or it starts to shrink your asset is connected to that bit different to the fact that today people want shelter Uh, it is a need based asset Um, really you could argue commercial property is is what we would refer to as want based it is a want for a property investors but certainly um, it can shrink in size so if you think about some of the top concerns you know, around the world at the moment when it comes to businesses, it's things like climate-related regulatory action, which of course can even impact real estate today. There's a lot of movement through the ESG movement into creating six-star, seven-star resilient real estate um, uh, buildings. And of course, a lot of investors down the track who don't own resilient real estate may get the bill in the post for that. Obviously, the business sector is dealing with sustained high inflation at the moment, um, currency volatility. uh, It's dealing with its uh, different measures around governments and public health systems with pandemics and obviously things like supply chain disruption. So if you're going to own commercial property, you're buying into all of that noise. There are some good returns to be made, but the reason returns are better in commercial is the volatility is different. Obviously, the more volatile something is, the risk is higher, so the return on investment is much higher now australia has some great companies that uh, own a lot of real estate here in australia companies like bhp nab cba you know macquarie atlassian these are all companies which are investing in owning their own real estate so they don't need to be commercial tenants In Australia, if you break down our business bedrock, if you like, it is really sole traders and micro-businesses, anywhere from one-person companies to small 20-team companies. And uh, really, when you think about how Australia's business section works, it's divided into these quadrants. So quite often, if you are... Being a commercial landlord, you're not attracting, for example, based on budgets, National Australia Bank, you're dealing with a micro business who is renting a property off you. So over 2.4 million ABNs are actually just small enterprises that need a small footprint for their office or their workshop or whatever um, they're up to. Here in Australia, there are around 4,000 companies with over 200 team members and around 57,000 companies with anywhere from 20 to 200 team members. So you can see by understanding the demographics within inside commercial real estate of who is out there to rent commercial real estate, it is really weighted towards smaller businesses inside of Australia. So why do a lot of companies lease? Why do companies not go and buy real estate? Well, of course, we know the big companies do. Atlassian, for example, is building uh, or going to build an amazing, amazing skyscraper here in Sydney. It's looking like it's on the cards and architecturally, it's an amazing, amazing building from what I've seen from the plans. But most companies don't buy their own real estate to use because real estate is considered less flexible than business. Businesses morph all the time. I'm sure if you've worked at a company, you've seen that company scale up, scale back. Um, You have to mould a company by virtue of very much of where the market is headed. Companies can, for example, quickly outgrow spaces. And you often see this a lot. A company will rent a property for five years and two years into the lease already be um, unable to fit their team members inside the property they've rented or they've outgrown the property or something that impacts their business comes along and they've got no one basically in and using the office. So leases aren't very flexible. Well, leases are more flexible than certainly owning real estate for companies. And of course, most companies today would prefer to spend their money on marketing and distribution rather than being tied down to the cost of real estate. So what is commercial property? I guess I've been talking about it, but I haven't really highlighted. Well, as you guys know, in residential property, you can buy yourself an investment. Perhaps you could buy a house or a townhouse or a villa or an apartment or a duplex or even inside of residential real estate, a small Uh, dual income property, a house and a granny flat. Inside a commercial real estate, you've got different types of dwellings. You've got the office market, which is uh, obviously self-explanatory. You've got the retail section of the commercial marketplace, retail shops, strip shops, shops in malls, uh, retail real estate, um, is a, inside the commercial property sector. You've got mixed use real estate. You've got a use uh, whereby some real estate is both residential, but can be used as commercial. A lot of the time real estate on main roads in Australia can be both used as a house to live in. But for example, a dental studio, it comes with a dual use purpose. So, uh, commercial property also includes real estate which is yet to be rezoned it can be large parcels of land out in the boonies that one day will be rezoned into something more than what it is today and then you've got sort of special purpose commercial things like petrol stations car washes that uh, carry a certain license to operate now When it comes to breaking down commercial real estate, perhaps the easiest sector to start with would be retail. Retail is an interesting business line here in Australia because you've got, for example, two sections inside retail. You've got discretionary spending reliant retail, for example, fashion. Um, If people got money in their back pocket, they're going to go and spend it on, you know, cool clothes or whatever it may be. If they don't, That discretionary tenant is considered less valuable than, for example, a non discretionary tenant. A non discretionary tenant would be, for example, a supermarket, a Coles, an IGA. If you had an IGA as a tenant, then your real estate is probably going to be worth more than, uh, you know, Sally's boutique. It's just. One's discretionary, one's non-discretionary. Now, with real estate in commercial, very much the value of commercial is tied to the yield. So the better your tenant is, the better your asset value is. Hence why having a lease to an IGA for five years times five years times five years Times five more years is considered much more valuable than Sally's boutique. So the office market obviously is the next section and of course the office market is very much a paradigm which gets connected to spatial transformation. The idea that things are always evolving as to how people interface with offices is a big conversation. Obviously, we've been through a pandemic. There's a lot of work from home at the moment. There is kind of a uh, model now inside society for knowledge workers to work remotely but also use offices. So spatially, they've changed. Today, a lot of offices don't need as much space as they once did they need to reshape space to be more hot desk orientated and of course for some businesses actually they even need more space because of social distancing guidelines that have unfolded off the back of the pandemic so once upon a time it was sort of considered per uh, per 10 square metres, you would have sort of one person in an office. Um, Spatial transformation has turned that upside down. The other impact on the office market is also the idea of spatial funnels. Uh, For example, here in Sydney, the new and most interesting office sector is in Barangaroo, which is a new quadrant of the CBD. So, all of the best companies have moved their offices and board offices or are leasing offices inside of Barangaroo. Prior to that, though, the number one section of the office market was Martin Place. So, what happened is Barangaroo came along and basically sucked out all of the big companies from Martin Place. Martin Place then became the second best office market. That sucked all the tenants from Uptown, Uptown being, for example, in Sydney, Town Hall. All of those tenants went to um, Martin Place. And so you get this effect in office real estate whereby obviously if you've got a big brand you want it in the best part of town if you've got a much smaller brand as a business uh, you eventually want to get to the big end of town so you kind of do this model whereby the office market is always playing musical chairs so one of the challenges with the office market is is quite often better offices are created, which again um, puts you, if you are an investor in the office space, in a place where you need to have, um, you know, you need to be on your toes because if new and better precincts are created, they kind of ta- take your possible business away from that area and so the office section is an interesting space the other thing that is very common in commercial real estate inside of the office market is incentives leases are basically how commercial real estate is valued and we call that capitalization or the cap rate and so what quite often happens inside the office market is there will be a face rent rate. And so, you know, you could be paying $100,000 a year for the opportunity to rent the property. But the reason it's $100,000 a year is the owner, or the quite often which is a REIT, wants to report that its assets are worth a certain amount. And if they drop the rent, the asset actually declines in value. So quite often what happens inside of commercial office rentals is abatements. You get a rebate basically by renting the property. And so the face rent and the real rent are quite often two different things because for the landlord, they want the face rent to be high because that protects their value but in reality quite often the rents are much lower than the face rent which is kind of a deal done on the side very much inside of the office market it is actually a bit of a a pandemic in itself an endemic if you like inside the office section of the marketplace so there's a lot of leases with abatements Uh, And the reason being, the value of the asset is connected to the least. The next commercial section is land banking. And for a lot of great property investors, again, property investors that carry huge amounts of money. Uh, Some of Australia's best billionaire property investors are land bankers to rezone real estate. And again, for us as small property investors, some of this stuff, is very difficult to partake in. It really does require generational wealth to play the game. I've certainly seen families here in Australia that are generationally wealthy after four generations uh, use land banking rezoning techniques to make millions, uh, literally tens of millions of dollars. So... As for us as uh, property investors, quite often this skill set is something which, you know, perhaps for us, we're just trying to do some more regular investment. And again, holding on to large parcels that require huge amounts of rezoning can be very expensive. Uh, I'm dealing with a client at the moment who is a commercial client of mine. I mean, they've been holding on to some land Waiting for it to be rezoned for near on 13 years. And the holding cost each year is a million dollars for them to hold that land to rezone it. So they're betting that after 13 years, they're going to recoup their $13 million hold, plus obviously get the upside of making money on top of that. So some big deals out there to be done. And For a lot of property investors, this is kind of an aspirational topic today because for a lot of people, it's about buying, you know, one or two good, simple investment properties. By the way, how I get around not being uh, personally able to, you know, buy, you know, huge amounts of land to rezone it and so forth is I am a sophisticated investor. I am not a commercial investor. What I personally do, and I've mentioned this a few times on this podcast, is the trifecta. The trifecta is I'm a buy and hold investor. I think it's smart to to just build a regular portfolio and keep it simple. I'm also a joint venture developer. So I team up with other people, buy developments, make a margin on creating a higher and better use for the development uh, i do that through sophisticated development um ideas and i do it with other sophisticated develop uh sophisticated investors and for me to get a better return on my rental properties i use uh things which are just simple like airbnb so i don't go and buy Commercial properties, I buy properties where I can Airbnb them. I have bought one commercial property in my time, which was mixed use. I'll tell you about that. But we're up to the next section, which is special purpose. Special purpose real estate basically is things like petrol stations, a classic, classic commercial property to own. Again, it's a certain license category that is connected to even buying the real estate. It allows you to operate, for example, 24 hours a day, um, hold hazardous materials on site, such as petrol, um, and it allows for basically a town to function. It's Town Planning 101. I almost bought a petrol station. I mean, the returns on a petrol station are freaking incredible. Uh, The only thing that put me off was the business of electrifying vehicles. For me, it was like a bit of a head, you know, it was was messing with my head. Like, will petrol stations even exist 20 years from now? You know, Canberra, for example, is banning uh, petrol and diesel cars by 2030. Um, So what is the future of a petrol station? I don't know. So... You know, um, But the returns are amazing, but I just don't know about where the whole ESG movement is headed. But again, for a lot of companies uh, that are investors as well, they like special purpose assets because the yields are very high. Now, you got to understand the biggest investors in commercial are typically not mom and dad property investors. They are pension funds, superannuation funds. They are other large-scale companies that look at real estate more from a, almost like from a diversified return. So you get a lot of, for example, uh, stock market companies, REITs, things like that will buy a... Um, you know, bonanza of different commercial real estate and provide more like an index return to people. Your superannuation, if you have superannuation inside of a, uh, you know, property fund inside of super, you know, perhaps some superannuation company, I don't know, AMP or something is running it for you. They're probably diversified in things like this special purpose commercial, which uh, is what it is. Very common for mum and dad property investors to consider mixed-use um, real estate, and mixed-use real estate is that sort of classic. It can be used as a house, but it can also use, be used as a shop front. Um, myself, I've bought mixed-use commercial before. Both myself and uh, my one of my fellow investors got together and we bought a property on the Gold Coast. It was a house, but it could also be used as a commercial office. It had dual zoning. So quite often what happens inside of real estate, um, real estate can come with one zoning, meaning that it can be used for one purpose, or it can come with multiple zoning. So it can be used for multiple purposes. Uh, When you buy a mixed-use property, You've obviously got the opportunity to rent it as one use but also turn it into a second use which uh, quite often allows you to go back and forth between the higher and better use. When I bought that property on the Gold Coast, the highest and best use was residential. It was better off being a residential property even though it had a commercial uh, zoning or mixed use commercial zoning. What I went and did is I got a DA uh, and building plans created for a commercial building. And so the asset then had plans to go from a house to a commercial building. And uh, my original plan um, was to just, you know, create create a commercial office there what ended up happening was the next door neighbor basically amalgamated some other land and ended up uh, making a good offer on the property that uh, we we owned. Um, and we sold it to, to that person. So we never carried out the commercial transformation. But mixed use is pretty typical of what is often acquired by small mum and dad property investors. They will buy, for example, a shop with some flats on it and get two incomes, one from the flat on top of the shops and from the shop itself. So uh, the right mixed-use deal, I think, is, you know, is is plausibly very, very, uh, a very good investment for the right property investor. As we know, off the back of COVID, you know, local shops are booming at the moment because, you know, people aren't just travelling to the CBD these days to do their work. So living local is the thing, and uh, I certainly notice with my local uh, community that the rents have climbed for the shopkeepers in the local area, which means the value of the asset owned by those owners and landlords has climbed in value. Remember, commercial real estate, the value is tied to the lease. And so the lease is obviously very, very important. If we, if you were going to buy a commercial property, uh, I would steer clear of a few... Elements. The first one I'd probably steer clear of is the strata office. Um, and uh, my sign keeps turning off because Raffy keeps eating my sign. So if you're watching on YouTube, you know what's going on. The sign keeps fluttering because Raffy the Gopnik is chewing the sign. So I've just give kicked Raffy. But if you were a uh, sort of individual property investor. Probably the one I would avoid when it comes to commercial, if your heart was set on commercial, uh, I would avoid buying a strata office. The reason is you can't really add too much value and there is obviously plenty of new office buildings created which create this kind of A, B, C, D grade effect on strata offices. Quite often, those who buy strata offices, and what I mean by a strata office is no different to kind of like an apartment where you're in a strata complex, it's the same thing with offices. You'll have a building, there's 20 different offices in the building and they're owned by 20 different um. 20 different people. And so quite often strata officers are kind of bought by small businesses that whereby the owner operator also t- thinks that by by buying the strata suite you know they they're going to do really really well out of the real estate and look there are some tax advantages for small business owners inside of superannuation and so forth to look at commercial properties but you know do they make great investments strata offices no they don't it's a simple answer the reason being is you know if you can buy obviously something that is freehold if you can get a zoning change or you can adapt the property to a higher and better use it's the better way to roll What a lot of really, really wealthy individuals do in Australia, billionaires, if you like, when it comes to property investment, they will buy, for example, a property which is a commercial property, um, freehold, the value of that freehold land is in the lease. However, if they can get a rezoning, Perhaps to even residential, and they could build three hundred apartments on that land. All of a sudden, the value of the land is more, worth more as residential than it is commercial. If, for example, they uh, the land isn't ready, for example, for three hundred apartments to go on it, the Value of the asset is still the higher and better use in the commercial. So, why people buy commercial, and certainly why rich people buy commercial, is one the rental return can be very good. You're talking, you know, six, seven, eight, nine percent net returns. However, beyond that, it's the use which is what most investors are trying to control the land. Um, and so a strata office obviously you know there is no future higher and better use with buying a for example commercial office and then having the ability at some point to change its value through development that is obviously a benefit to the investor or the buyer however for the most part For small property investors, buying a commercial property is all about the cash flow, the net income for the investment. And this is where commercial properties differ from residential real estate. Residential real estate is pretty much a simple formula. You buy a property, you get a property manager, and you rent out the property. You, however, need to pay for your insurance and, of course, your outgoings, council fees, strata fees, um, you know, and so forth. In a uh, lease inside a commercial, quite often the leases are structured as triple leases, i.e. the tenant pays not only the rent but also pays all the outgoings and also pays all the insurance and also pays all of some of the upkeep of the asset hence why commercial real estate is very very high yielding because the outgoings and in particular the insurance is quite often passed on to the tenant not always but very commonly passed on to the tenant this obviously allows for the landlord uh, to recoup more cash flow. Hence why rich people quite often gravitate to commercial properties because rich people uh, don't only require capital growth, but just love smashing income. And so income is really the profile of commercial. Again, I get around that in residential by what I call contemporary mixed use. The idea of contemporary mixed use, which is just a name I created, is that if you buy residential real estate, which can have two uses, then you can change the trajectory of the cash flow. The two uses I like, it's just simple normal leasing and short stay leasing. It's kind of a way to create more cash flow without entering into the commercial hemisphere. Because obviously, the commercial sector has very attractive uh, rents, but is far more volatile than a need based asset, which is residential real estate. People need a roof over their head. So, obviously, the triple lease is a big thing. Um, and you know, it creates a lot of cash flow. The other thing that is very important inside a commercial real estate is how weighted the lease actually is. Um, again, the value of the asset is connected to the lease. So, quite often, if you've got a five-year with a five-year option, you know, you can get basically twenty-year leases, and of course, um, that is highly valuable. to to someone potentially looking to buy. If you've got certainty of tenure as a buyer and you've got, for example, a Coles as your tenant and you've got a 20-year lease, you've got a very, very good weight on that lease. It creates a blue-chip tenant. And as such, the value of that asset, if it was being sold, would be higher than, for example... Joe's dry cleaning with a 1-year lease on the asset there's not much value in that particular like Joe's dry cleaning and a 1-year lease has nothing on a 20-year lease with Coles right so for a lot of property investors um you know you've just got to weigh up uh the idea around the investment again it's very similar in that respect to residential real estate. There are obviously A-grade residential real estate deals you can put together, B, C, D-grade investments, no different in commercial. Um, and quite often I see inside, I guess, you know, people chatting about real estate. There's obviously a lot of forums and things I participate in. And, you know, quite often people will sort of bring up, you know, what what kind of, Commercial property, could you buy for $500,000, for example? Well, the short answer is it's probably going to be pretty rough. Like, the reality is, like, again, commercial real estate, albeit still probable or possible for many entry level property investors, the problem with it is it's cheap for a reason. If it uh, wasn't $500,000, for a reason, um, you know, I would be, you know, you know I, it, it, it's degrade real estate, let's face it. And it's probably degrade real estate because it's got a one-year lease to Joe the Dry Cleaner, who we don't know if is going to be in business next year or be thriving. And if Joe the Dry Cleaner is thriving, the odds of Joe the Dry Cleaner leaving uh, that particular lease is high because a thriving business will go look for better tenure. And so, again, we need to come back to the conversation around commercial that there's A, B, C, D, grade commercial real estate. Obviously, what the risks are around commercial is the white elephant effect, the idea that, um, you know, for whatever reason, businesses do not see eye to eye with where the space is and do not want to stay or uh, can't make money from the real estate and there's a lot of white elephant commercial real estate which is inexpensive out in the market what it really is is real estate which sends the business broke think about that from a business's point of view foot traffic's weak exposure's weak on the asset Um, it's cheap but no one really wants to come and see you um, you know, you need to spend more on advertising to draw people to the asset. So there is a lot of inexpensive white elephant real estate out in society. I say avoid it like the plague. There are better ways to make money. There are better uses of your money. Um, obviously, when you become a property investor, your job is to go and find problems and solve them. Uh, I know very experienced property investors who are multi multi millionaires that love white elephants they go in they pick them up really really cheap they don't do it as a one-off i.e one strata they buy all 20 or 30 at a discount uh, within the white elephant so they buy 30 shops at once um, kick out people change everything over, upgrade the building and reboot it as a higher yielding asset. So again, if you've got a lot of money to play the game, the white elephant is a good one. If you don't have a lot of what money to play the game, the white elephant is a bad one because you're just going to sit there with lack of activity on your asset. Now, remember, the golden rule of commercial real estate is the rent is how the real estate is valued. In real estate, we call that the cap rate. Now, remember, in real estate, there's kind of three models of valuation there is the direct comparison, i.e., you buy a property that is com- comparable to another property, uh, that value is comparable to your value. Apples for apples. The second methodology of valuation inside of real estate is known as summation, which is really the idea that the cost to build something added to the land equals X. The third way to value real estate is based on the capitalization rate, the yield. And so um, inside of commercial real estate, what you're trying to do if you are an investor is buy a low yield asset and turn it into a high yield asset. In other words, you're buying something where the yield is uh, affected, but you know how to solve the problem and increase the yield and attract a better tenure. So there's some professional investors out there that, for example, will go and find redundant commercial real estate, Uh, particularly in things like retail, then they'll anchor a lease to that retail through someone like Coles and all of a sudden there's a huge value uplift or arbitrage created. So if you're sophisticated as an investor, as I alluded to, this is why I think it's a sophisticated sport. Um, There's a lot going on I know some really excellent people inside of this space who do some incredible work when uh, changing the tenure of things. But for a lot of get started property investors, and I imagine if you're sort of listening to me, you're, you know, early in your career as a property investor, uh, you got to know the, the good bits and the bad bits around this stuff, because again, there's, you know, quite often a lot of shiny toys out there which can distract you from success of being a property investor and certainly think um, the wrong commercial property does uh, send people in the wrong direction. I've certainly, I would say, had over the years multiple people ring me up and just say, look, I wish I never bought this damn commercial property. It's, uh, It's just hasn't been rented for two years and I don't know what to do with it because it's a degrade commercial property. When it comes to lending inside of uh, real estate to buy a commercial property, um, quite often that in itself is a bit of a science as well. Not only are the rates different to residential, but also the loan terms are very much often different. It's very common to, for example, get a 15-year loan term in commercial as opposed to a 30-year loan term. Though there are longer loan terms, it's very common when you're assessed to be assessed on a 15-year loan term. Obviously, that means you're taking what is normal in residential, say a loan spread out over 30 years, and you're compressing it to 15 years, which means the repayments are often a lot higher to service the actual loan. Hence why the rents need to be a lot higher as well. There are some advantages to that. Obviously, you know, you're you're controlling money over a shorter period of time, but certainly for a lot of people, that idea of compressing payments is just too heavy if there wasn't a lease. Obviously, from a bank's point of view, they also want to have a fixed and floating charge over the asset. So quite often. They have the ability to actually margin call you on a commercial investment, which is a bit weird, right? Like in residential, you do not really ever see a margin call happening on residential real estate. Margin call is just the idea that the assets lost so much so much value that the bank moves in and wants you to personally pay back the uh, loss, on paper um, to uh, for the bank to hold more security very much like the share market one of the challenges is you know quite often in the share market you can be margin called if your share goes back i.e you've got to top up your capital lvr back to the bank with commercial properties they the loan terms very much have a margin call in them so for example if you lose your tenant and your value of your asset starts to go backwards, and you've bought the real estate, for example, on a 70% LVR, your value is dropping. Um, you may be called upon to increase your loan-to-value ratio by putting actual cash into the deal. So loan-to-value ratios are also a thing. You're not going to get a 90% loan on a commercial property. Quite often, it's more like 60 70 sometimes 80% if you have a good track record. Obviously, for a lot of uh, small businesses, there are some advantages of looking at commercial through your self-managed super fund. Uh, If you've got a wealth advisor, you know, you're more than welcome to reach out to your own wealth advisor to give you some specific information around self-managed super funds. I'm not licensed to have that discussion. So I'll let you have that discussion, but it is plausible that you can buy commercial real estate inside your superannuation fund. Quite often, if you are buying commercial property, you've got to be very, very mindful that the asset is not cross securitized against your family home. It's very, very common in commercial. Uh, Quite often the bank lending you the money is also the bank, that owns your family home, hence why it's a little bit easier sometimes to get a commercial loan doing it that way. But one of the biggest lessons I can particularly convey to you if you are a business owner, you do not want your business, your family home, uh, and a commercial property all connected through the same bank. In real estate, we call that cross-securitization. And of course, if... Your revenue is created from a business, which is connected to your superannuation fund, which is connected to your family home. Oh my goodness, that's way too much of a tangle. And in a downturn could get very, very messy for you. So uh, obviously you can go and get yourself just a normal commercial loan, which is not uh, has no security against it, no other assets propping it up. And obviously you're going to pay a higher rate And uh, that's just the way it works. So it is what it is. But uh, certainly when it comes to value, you know, it's fair to say that superannuation funds, pension funds, massive companies love A-grade commercial real estate. They buy it because they can not only extract a superior return out of it, but they can use it commercially to create a higher and better use, you'll often see, for example, them buy something and turn it into a commercial tower, or take a commercial tower and turn it into a residential property, or buy back residential properties and turn them into a shopping mall. There's big business at play. Would I jump out there and buy a degrade commercial property for five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, rented to Joy's Cupcakes? I'd probably give it a miss. I think there's better things to do in real estate. I personally uh, love the property trifecta. I just think it makes so much sense. If you want to make some quick bucks out of real estate, you add value to that by doing small scale development. The best way to do that is to join forces with other people because the best returns out of small scale development come from buying uh, sites. And today, you know, you need to be spending two, three, four, five million dollars to be a player in that space. Um, so you can just joint venture. Um, obviously, if you can get yourself a, to a sophisticated place, ticks a lot of boxes because uh, that's how uh, we are certainly seeing people get more wealthy as they become more sophisticated. Second way to do it, change the trajectory of your cash flow. All you've got to do if you really, really love rental returns all you got to do is think about what you can do to achieve a better return on a growth asset. Quite often, I do that through short stay. There's other models. You can do a house and a granny flat. You can do, um, you know, dual income real estate. You can work with healthcare, NDIS, all sorts of stuff, which creates commercial-like returns from a residential property. And the third thing I love teaching is just buy and hold, man. Like, You make more money by just sitting on good assets and doing nothing quite often than uh, trying to force your hand on a vehicle, which is otherwise designed to be very, very slow. Real estate is a slow moving machine. So personally, my bias stick to the property trifecta, but hey, uh, I'm sure there are some commercial investors out there that have done very, very well. Congratulations to you. I wouldn't be jumping out there to do it though. Um, So uh, that's where I'll leave it. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.